It's so good to be worshiping with you guys today. And, um, you know, as you're grabbing a seat this morning, we're going to continue on in worship and do something that we haven't done for about a year and a half. And that's this morning, we're going to take the offering, which we haven't done that for a while. Um, but if you, if you brought that with you, if you want to get something out and give, I just, we're so thankful for your generosity and your, uh, just overwhelming support, your obedience in that over the last year and a half. But, um, but if you're with us for the first time, I also just want to say, please, we don't, we're, we don't want you to give anything. We're just glad you're here hanging out with us. If you're watching online, there's ways to give online. No matter where you are around the world, you can do that. So uh, I also encourage you to do that as well. Um, one of the things I, I, uh, I was going to mention is that this morning when you leave today, um, a bunch of our students, they're going to be out washing cars, right? You guys going to be doing that today? Yeah, a bunch of you? <clears throat> And they're doing that to support the Beaverton Resource Center, which is actually located on our campus. And so this is a really cool thing, that there was a conversation about what it would look like to take a number of nonprofits that are, you guys can take the offering, by the way, you guys are good to go. Um, what would it look like to take the, a, a number of nonprofits that are serving at-risk students and youth or homeless youth in our community, which there's like 2,300 homeless, 2,800, 2,300, somewhere around 2,500 homeless students in the Beaverton School District alone. And uh, those nonprofits were sort of scattered in different places. And so our vision has been to say, what would it look like if a bunch of nonprofits that were serving our city could be in one place and so that families could find them? Um, that's what that idea is. And so that car wash, as you leave today, these students are going to be over there. And uh, anything you give goes to those guys to help them do what they're doing. And so I just want to encourage you uh, as you drive out today, if your car looks like mine, you might want to stop in. So um, with that, now I want to introduce to you, um, and this is kind of cool, I'm going to introduce our next speaker because I actually had a conversation with somebody and they didn't know who he was, which um, just tells you like God is drawing a bunch of new folks to our church and if that's you, uh, th then we're so glad you're here. But um, I'm going to just welcome Pastor Randy Remington to the stage with me right now. We, it, it is... It's so good to have him here this weekend. And in fact, um, just so those of you that maybe are new so that you know, uh, Randy is my predecessor. I'm his successor. And, uh, and he uh, is now the president of our denomination. So um, yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. But he, he and Sandy still live here and, um, in fact, still attend here when they can, when Randy's not on the road or, or doing stuff or when we're actually in person. And, uh, and because of that, that's actually unique. Um, we, are, we actually have a thing in our bylaws as an organization that says that exiting pastors have to leave. And I said, you're not going anywhere. And, uh, and truly, I, I wanted Randy and Sandy to be a part of our, our community of faith. Um, but a lot of people have asked me, well, what's that like? You know, what's it like having the former pastor like in your backyard all the time? I want you guys to all hear me say this. And he knows this because he's already heard me say it twice. Um, but I couldn't have asked for a better predecessor than this guy right here. Um, he has been supportive. He's been encouraging. He texts me, says, let's grab coffee. Let's go play golf. Is there anything I can do for you? He'll say, great sermon this morning. You only missed three things. Like all kinds. No, just kidding. He's never done that. Never once has he ever done that. Um, he truly has just been in my corner every single step of the way. And I really, really am grateful for the man that you've been through this whole process. And I feel really supported by you and encouraged by you. So thank you. And thanks for being here and sharing the word with us. I know you're busy and uh, we're so grateful you get to be here with us. So would you welcome him again? Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. This has been a 
How are you? That's it. This has been a morning that Sandy and I have um, been anticipating. Um, I I get to, I should say, I get to, I, I require to, but I've gone a lot and I travel a lot and I get to be in a lot of different places and communities and contexts. In churches, which I'm really grateful for, and it's a it's a special opportunity. But to be here is different because um, we get to be home. Uh, we get to be a place where we have so much uh, deep rooted relationship and such deep affection and love for for so many um, uh, of you. So thank you for letting us have the opportunity to be back here this morning. It really, really is our joy and just to get to worship together and just it's hard not to just uh, just let my mind go to all the hours um, I've spent in this room in prayer and worship and relationship. And so we're really, really, really grateful. Um, thanks, Brad, for letting us have the opportunity to come and really thankful for Pastor's friendship and uh, our partnership in the gospel. And... Um, so this morning, uh, there's so much I want to say, but I ate up too much of my time in the other serv- services saying those things. But uh, I, I got to be here in the first of December, but you weren't here. <laughs> like nobody was here. It was just me and all that right there. That was like that was funky. So uh, kind of glad to have like live live people here because that's the church, isn't it? I mean, I'm thankful for the technology. Um, the Holy Spirit, though, is the means by which we have been united together as family, and it's why there's longing in our hearts to be together when we're not together. And uh, the Holy Spirit um, kind of keeps us close while we're apart, but also is the means by which we yearn to be together. So this is the church gathered is what ecclesia, the church, means in the New Testament. So to get together, worship, so really sing to one another, to put our hope in God, to look to God together and receive and be encouraged in the word together. Together. So we're in a series in 1 Corinthians, and they said, uh, here's some options this summer. Would any of those work for you? And I said, yeah, this option would work. And then they said, okay, in our 1 Corinthians series, this is the text you're in, and don't stray from it. Go for it. And uh, so it's my joy to get to jump into the series we started a few weeks ago and are newly in, in 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians, and it's easy to find if you're not familiar with your Bible or becoming familiar with it. 1 Corinthians is right before 2 Corinthians, so it should be really, really easy to get to. But um, this is an interesting letter. Um, the, the more I was reading the last several weeks, kind of just even reading through the whole of the, the book of 1 Corinthians, boy, it's, it's really speaking to our cultural moment that we're living in, in terms of just where we're at in society and in America in really globally in so many ways, but it is really, um, these are 2,000 year old words that are really 2,000 year old answers for today, for so much of what we're facing. And, and I will tell you up front that a big chunk of this letter is written by the Apostle Paul who planted this church. Uh, he's now in Ephesus writing a letter back to the Corinthians, and he's answering some questions they've had that have arisen, but he's also like a father to them in the faith. So he's, he's rolling up his shirt sleeves, and he's, he's speaking sternly to them about some things. He's, he's actually corrective, and a lot of what you're going to read in 1 Corinthians is going to address some, some uh, issues that have arisen, but he, he addresses those issues by going to the core roots of the matter. 
And so this morning as we're in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, I want to look at the primary thing that Paul is aiming at that is really the root of what a lot of the other issues manifest out of. And so if you've ever glamorized the first century church and thought, man, I wonder what it would be like to be kind of in those first decades after Jesus, that would, must be the glory years of the church. It doesn't take long before problems start coming up. Um, I don't care what era you've lived in, people are people. And we are born again, regenerated people, but it's, we're also being changed by virtue of the new life we've entered into now is working itself out of us. And we're learning how to live in the fullness of the new life that we've been given. And so we do that with intentionality and faith and, and, and love. And so the problem that Paul is addressing in these first couple chapters in particular is, is the issue of disunity within the church. The, the, the church is fracturing. It's, it's reflecting the larger culture of Corinth in the day and the larger issue of the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, history tells us that the Roman Senate at this period of time was so concerned about the way that it felt like even the whole of the empire was fragmenting and pulling it apart. And they isolated it to some unique things that are, have really crept into the church as well. And so if you look in verse 10, this is sort of the thesis statement that Paul is making um, it's his way of writing that's unique. Um, this was a verse you started with last week with Pastor Lane did a great job pe preaching on uh, 10 through 17. We're going to begin reading in verse 18 in a minute, but just to, to show us the issue here in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. When he says that there be no divisions among you, we get the word schism from that word, that Greek word. Um, literally, it, it means to tear a, a garment in two. It's like you're ripping apart the fabric of something. So something's being, it was whole. It was this, this unified purpose and potential, and now it's, it's being torn apart. And so he said, what I want you to do is I want you to be united. He's not saying, I don't want you to be a cult, that you have to think about the same way and the same thing on every issue, no matter how small it is. But he's saying, on the things that are the essence of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, you have to be united on and that word united is the same word that's used when the fishermen and Jesus is in the Gospels when he would call Peter and John and Andrew to him and they were mending their nets. That's the same word. I want you to reunite. I want you to bind back together, sew back together that thing that's being torn apart. I want you to, to make it whole so it can be restored in its purpose and in the intent. And so... The first thing that is identified that they're dividing around, and Pastor Lane did a great job covering this last week, is the issue of preferences over leaders. So one would say, I'm, I'm of Paul, I'm on Paul's team. And somebody would say, well, I'm on Apollos' team. He was, a, he was a preacher and an apostle. And then some would say, well, I'm on Peter's team. So it's like they were identifying. So imagine this context. So I just tried to put our church in that context for a moment. Beaverton Foursquare before is like, it's almost 70 years old as a church, but in the last 50 years, there's been primarily three lead pastors. Lots of pastors, lots of um, pastoral leadership in the church among many, but three primary senior pastors. You had Pastor Ron Mel, who pastored for almost 30 years. 
you had, um, I was here for almost 18 years, and now Pastor Brad, who's been about two years now, going into the end of two years. So imagine this. this. Imagine if the Apostle Paul was writing to us in the same way, and he's going, some of you are saying, I'm of Pastor Ron. Those are the days. Pastor Ron could teach so simple, and his heart of God came through. And some would say, well, I'm of Pastor Randy. We don't really know what he's saying half the time, but we like him. Hey, he's a good guy. Um, some would say, I'm of Pastor Brad. Have you heard, like, his 90-week series in Leviticus? I mean, it was like, <laughs> just like, he talks so slow. And, um, I mean, how, how ridiculous. Now, think about that for a moment. What Paul's saying to the Corinthians church is, Paul, I founded you in Jesus, in the gospel. What God has done for us in Christ, I want you to know Jesus. Apollos, I want you to know Jesus. Peter, I want you to know Jesus. Pastor Ron, I want you to know Jesus and love Jesus. Pastor Randy, I want to point you to Jesus and look into Jesus. Pastor Brad, I want you to love Jesus, embody Jesus. Some plant, some water. God gives the increase. He says these words that you read last week, is Christ divided? He's not. This church, as the Corinthians church, was built on Jesus. We don't care about what you've come. We care, but you know what I mean? What matters is whoever you are in your story of an experience and family of origin, whatever it would be, we want you to know Jesus. People say, what's your position? Democrat, Republican, we want you to know Jesus. If you're left-handed or right-handed, we want you to know Jesus. If you're short or tall, we want you to know Jesus. If you drive a Chevy or Ford, we want you to know Jesus. So you get the point. I don't know, it doesn't matter. However you want to break it down and divide ourselves, in the end, that's what we're about. And so we come to this place in the scripture and Paul's acknowledging in the broader culture, but also within the church, not on issues of doctrine, not on the issues of the essentials about who Jesus is or what God has done for us in Christ or the word of God, but on secondary or even peripheral matters. There's this polarization that's happening, this separating from one another, this ripping or this dividing, this tearing of the fabric. My new role that I'm in, um, never a role I imagined I would be in, but one of the privileges I have is sitting with, on a daily basis, several, if not many, almost on a day, almost every week, face-to-face, -face, phone calls, Zoom calls, with pastors and leaders around our nation and many around the world. And I get to pastor pastors in essences, so it's my lane. And, but we could say this in terms of probably anything, whether you're in education or business or, or any other kind of wherever you primarily serve in your life. Um, we could probably say this is true, but what I'm discovering is how discouraged people are in, in leadership in churches all over. And, and this is the primary reason that I hear. It's like, I feel like no matter what I say when I open my mouth, I'm just going to, it's just has the potential to be misunderstood. Wherever I put my foot, I feel like I'm going to step on a landmine.
because every issue, so imagine this, you're in first century Corinth, you're living in this time where it just seems like the church that has been made one together in Jesus is now just kind of pulling all apart. And Paul's going to come and say, I've got the answer for you. And the answer is the same answer that we need today. I kind of risk something in saying this, but this is true. I had an email this week from somebody that said, Randy, a leader in our movement somewhere in the U.S., they, they, they said, I don't know if we can, I can trust your leadership. I don't know if I can follow you as a leader, and here's why. They said, up to this point, we, we're thankful for you. You've known you for a long time, da 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 But I heard you got vaccinated. And that kind of bad judgment on my part, I, I just feel like maybe I, you're not the man that I thought you were. Now, now just stay there for a minute, because some of you are like, you've got thoughts about that very strongly. Just hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I am not kidding. I can pull it up right now on my phone and show you. The very next day, I get another email from a loved leader in our movement saying, Randy, I'm really disappointed in you as our leader. You should be requiring all of our pastors to get vaccinated. <laughs> so, so, and then they went and they made a case for it. Both of them making strong cases of conviction, why they, and then that issue became a referendum on me and my leadership on that issue. Now, granted, there's strong feelings about that. And don't send me links to any <laughs> articles or videos or like, uh, please, don't, I, just, I trust you, just you do you. Do you. But, uh, the, but you, you get the point. It's like, really? For decades we've been friends? For, for decades we've walked together in ministry and, and now that? I mean, if you're going to break fellowship, I could give you a lot better reasons than that. I mean, I got dozens of things that will probably throw you off if you wanted them. But uh, if you're going to that. But would you humor me for something? Would you humor me in this? Just, just, I didn't do this in the other services, but just humor me. At the count of three, would you yell the name of your favorite college university in terms of sports teams? So, okay, ready? One, two, three. Michigan! <laughs> I heard Michigan. I don't, I don't know what you heard. I heard. I heard University of Michigan. That's what I heard. So, you know what I heard? That's what I heard. So, how about this? At the count of three, yell out your favorite genre of music. You know, whether that's classical or, you know, God forbid, country western. You know, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Okay? But it's like, whatever. It's, um, gospel, whatever. Okay? One, two, three. <laughs> Like, I heard nothing discernible. <laughs> Adult contemporary. Uh, one more, count of three. Who revealed to you the Father's heart and saved you by his grace? Jesus. Jesus is the basis of our togetherness. That is the reason that we have gathered today. If we, we couldn't even order a pizza together, we wouldn't even be able to agree on what to put on a pizza. 
But what is the most essential foundational thing that there is that we have all experienced a shared grace in Jesus? that he is the fountainhead of life. He is the source of life in us. And this is why Paul said in verse 17, as we get right to the place we're gonna read, is he said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with a bunch of eloquence of speech. You know what I came to you with? The cross. I preached Jesus to you. And this is why, because that's where the power is. The power to change a heart, the power to change a marriage, the power to change a family, the power to change a school, the power to change a community is not in my eloquence. It's not that we all agree on everything equally, on all the secondary matters and small things. It's because we have a shared life in Jesus together. It doesn't mean you can't have strong convictions about certain things, but the essentials that the scripture says these are the eternal things. These are the things that we will never budge on. They're non-negotiables. Those, those issues of who Jesus is, the infallibility of, infallibility of the scripture, um, those, those issues that are essential to our orthodoxy in terms of our faith, we are not compromising on those things. But Paul's saying, why are you letting everything else tear the fabric apart? Don't, don't do that. Because your unity is built on something far more substantial than those issues. You have unity in Jesus. Now I want you to learn to live out that unity. The scripture says it like this. Maintain that unity in the bond of peace. I don't want to brag, but I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records. It's true. I know it sounds, I'm embarrassed to say that. It sounds like I'm bragging, but... In 2008, I was at a big conference in Atlanta, mostly a youth-oriented conference, and they had representatives of the Guinness Book of World Records there to confirm it. 10,000 people simultaneously at one time sat on a whoopee cushion together. (laughs) The most people ever to sit at a whoopee cushion at one time. I am among that number. I I am in there, so. But imagine if I said, imagine if I said, what is the basis of my unity for all these people? One, two, three, that's the basis of the unity. How ridiculous. The basis of our unity in terms of the eternal stuff, some of the stuff that we have magnified to being deal breakers in scope of eternity are going to be the equivalent of that. And this is the one thing that's being driven home that's the answer to their disunity at that day is still the answer for us today. And I want you to look in verse 18, real quickly, if you would, and I want to walk through this section of scripture and make a few comments, and then we'll, we'll close. So Paul said, I, I didn't come with eloquent speech because I didn't want the cross to be emptied of its power to be made of no effect. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolish to everyone who's perishing. It's foolishness. It's silly. It doesn't, it's, it's unsophisticated. It's ridiculous to consider. But to those who are being saved, notice the words there, for those who are being saved, we entered into his life at one point, we became born again. Life was imparted to us spiritually. We went from being dead spiritually to alive spiritually, and now we're being saved. There's the outworking of that new life, and we're living it out, and that's what faith and obedience um, to Jesus is all about. For it is written, for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
it's, it's generative. The gospel, the message of the cross, Jesus, what he's done for us in his death and resurrection, it has power to impart life to you, but it has inerrant within it this ability to generate life ongoing in us. It's the means by which we can grow. It's the means by which we, the older we get, shouldn't you be more filled with the fruits of the spirit? The older you get, the longer you walk with Jesus. It's like, because why? That power is at work in you generating i'm not so the message of the cross the word of the cross what god has done for us in christ and all that was accomplished there validated in his resurrection appropriated to us by the holy spirit brought us into new life in god and now that life is working in us it's there's a power that's uniquely resident within that message and paul says i could get up here and i could talk about all kinds of things that would be good and helpful, life skills, all those things, but it won't change your heart, won't renew your mind. That's the gospel. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, he says in the book of Romans, because it's the power of God to bring salvation through everyone who believes. For those of us who believe, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. That's a direct quote from Isaiah 24. And so Paul uses the word here, power, the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that word. And Paul uses it more in the book of 1 Corinthians than anywhere else in the New Testament except for Luke. And it's the idea that something, there's like something explosive, something that's just, just shakes things, does something dynamic in and through our lives. And so he's beginning to build this argument here that the focus is on Jesus, not on man's wisdom or man's abilities or powers. This is where the focus goes. And the more you know Jesus, the more real your understanding out of relationship with Jesus comes a real understanding of who Jesus is that you, apart from Jesus, are never going to intellectualize your way to. So he says, the foolishness of this world, the, the foolishness of the wisdom of man trying to think their way to right understanding of God. Right understanding of God comes only as we are in relationship with God, which begins by a gift, a miracle of God that goes beyond our ability really fully grasp. And that's going to be the essence of the argument he's making here. Verse 20, where is the wise person, the thinker, the scholar? Where is the scribe, the teacher of the law? Where's the, the writer, the journalist, the pundit? Where's the philosopher of this age? Rhetoricians, orators, eloquent speakers. Now listen, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. The world cannot rightly understand God apart from God. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so they're foolishness to us apart from God. But God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That what is he saying? God created, God's not foolish. The smallest, smallest, smallest thought of God is transcendent beyond man's greatest abilities to know and think. But God created a way to salvation and transformed eternal life that just is foolish to the intellectual. It just doesn't make sense. So if you look in verse 22, to the Jews, 
They demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom. Corinth was a Greco-Roman city. It was established by Alexander as this prototype Greek city where philosophy and oratory and wisdom was really highly valued and philosophy was the rage of the day and age and they prided themselves in their ability to understand things like the gods. And they could make sense of things and they could explain it and it all was rational to people according to their understanding of that day. And then the Christians come along and they preach Jesus and him crucified and to the secular Greek mind they're going this is foolish this is this is offensive to me and to the Jewish person they were scandalized by it they were like they were horrified that you would preach the Messiah the one who came to save was put to death by human hands at a cross verse 22 in verse 23, if I could just put this in my own words that I was just thinking yesterday and I just kind of, sometimes that helps me as I just kind of restate it, but listen kind of it this way. For Jews want to see powerful and amazing acts to show that God is at work. Non-Jews expect to get great understanding. Like persuade me, prove to me, see if you can out-argue me. That was the day in which they are, in which they were living and not unlike our day, but Paul is saying that the most brilliant of human minds can't find, their best wisdom can't get to God. God revealed himself in a very unique way, and it's a stumbling block. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So to everyone, Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is God's wisdom. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The reason it was offensive to Greek minds, the reason that was such an issue is because they valued wisdom and understanding, and, and they had a pantheon of gods in the Greco-Roman world. They, the Greek gods were basically one step up from being human. As a matter of fact, this morning I've seen a number of people that in 2010 we went on a Footsteps of Paul, Footsteps of Jesus combined tour, study tour. And so we were in Athens and then we went to Corinth and then we went to different parts where Paul went. So we were together, a number of us, in Corinth at this, at this time and, and place. And so it, it, in this moment in time, there was this sophistication about their ability to understand the gods and when we were on that trip, when we were done and ready to go to Israel, we were so ready because we had had it up to here with Greek mythology. <laughs> and it was like, Apollos this, Zeus that, uh, Athena that. And, and it was like, well, the, the gods are one step above mortals, they, but they have the same temptations, they have the same passions, they have the same um, problems as humans do. They're just all powerful and live forever. So we can understand those kinds of gods. So things make sense to us if we can see things in light of those kind of gods. We cannot make sense of a God who comes to a nondescript place instead of a city like Athens, he goes to Bethlehem to be born, nondescript, no fame, no name, is nailed to the cross as a criminal, as a traitor, as an insurrectionist by the dominant government power of the day and is put in an unmarked grave. That makes no sense to us. To the Jewish mind, it was equally horrific. It was equally problematic for them. You could even say repulsive. It repulsed them. Because the cross for them was a, a source of shame. It was a source of humiliation. 
To the Greek, it was a source of weakness. It was a source of defeat. To the Jewish mind, it was the source of, it was a statement of Rome's subjugation of you. It was a statement of Rome's domination over you. That you rise up to us, we'll nail you to a cross and we'll make a statement to anyone that you cannot raise your fist at Rome or we'll stomp you, we'll dominate you, we'll pacify you, we will crush you. And you'll share in the humiliation of your people that are nailed to that cross. So we come along in this culture. God became flesh. No, 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 no. Gods don't become mortals. Mortals become God. It was humble. No, gods are powerful. Self-sacrificing, laid his down in life. No, no, no. Gods don't die by human hands. To a Jewish person saying, no, no, Messiah would ne- Messiah has come to overthrow Rome, not to be put to death by Rome. No, no, Deuteronomy says that whoever hangs on a tree is cursed. Messiah can't come and die on a cross because that would be cursed by God. So it's just messing with their heads. It violates, it offends them. This is not the way we would do it. So how does God do it? How does God answer to the rebellion of sin? How does God answer to human pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency? How does God answer to our own defiance and claims that we know what's right apart from God? Through weakness, through humility, and self-sacrifice. That's how God answers to that. That's how he wins that prop battle. That's how he reverses things. That's how he right-sides things that are upside down. Do you know it was only in the fourth century that we began to, the church began to see the cross as something that would adorn buildings and be a beautiful thing. Now we wear it as jewelry. People put it, tattoo it on their body. Um, But in the fourth century is when they first started, but prior to that, it was such a horrific thing. You wouldn't walk around with an electric chair around your neck going, oh, this is awesome. See this needle? It represents lethal injection. Um, It was first and foremost a means of execution. It was a symbol of defeat, agony, suffering, humiliation, and death. Let me show you a picture. This is the first, the earliest, I should say, artwork of a cross that has been discovered in archaeology. And this is graffiti that was actually scribbled on a house in Rome. And uh, literally the writing says Aleximos, who's the owner of the house. It's, this is the graffiti. It says Aleximos worship, worships his God. See the word Deo there, worships his God. And the implication is your God is a donkey who got nailed to a cross. How foolish is that? Up the street... There's the Parthenon. There's this temple to all of these deities, this polytheistic culture. And you're saying there's one God and he died and he came alive again. And one day he's coming back again. That's your God. It's to be mocked. It's to be made fun of. But the cross represents how Jesus turned an instrument, a symbol of guilt and shame into a place of mercy and forgiveness, a place of defeat into a place of victory, a thing of death into life. And he can do the same thing in your life. 
wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's pain, wherever there's suffering, wherever there looks like defeat, wherever there's shame, wherever there's humiliation, wherever there's things that are dying and dead, wherever there's guilt, Jesus through the cross can come and take that which looks weak and base and humiliating and he can redeem it and bring forth life and victory and wholeness and healing and mercy. That's the power of the cross. The cross has power. But I'll finish with this. We're called to be those who walk in the way of the cross. And look at this. I'll just finish with this. Look in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So when you got saved, think of this. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is Paul saying? God took the cross, a foolish, ridiculous, despised thing, and rocked the world with it. And then Paul says this, who are you? You were not smart, you were foolish, and yet you were not noble, you were not wise. We were less than, we were all in need of grace. And he has saved us by grace, and now he's turning that. He's taking the foolish to confound the wise of this world. And what is Jesus' answer to the world that we have right now? A church, a people, a place of his spirit and presence embodied in the earth, us. Jesus is being seen in us. So why is this so important that we not divide over the things that maybe are matters of conscience or just issues of preference or, or issues of conviction about secondary matters? We are united about the one thing, the reality and the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and doing in us and who we are as the family of God. We present to the world an image of who Jesus is. So we take the way of the cross. Humility, weakness, Sacrifice, that's how we win. How do we argue, to, how do we deal with stuff today in today's culture? We argue, we dominate, we power up, we divide and go into our corners. My wife um, and I have been married 32 years. This might shock some of you, but early on in our marriage, we had to work through some things to learn, you know, in marriage. I learned something early on. My wife is, she knew more about relationships in fifth grade than I do now. Um, very wise relationally. Just, and she's, uh, she, if you've been around her, you know she's very measured. And she, when she speaks, it's, she doesn't waste words. And she's, she's wise. And none of her words seem to fall to the ground where I'm the multitude of many words. And so we'd have a little issue. And I'm like, what all that? And she would just go, boop, boop, boop. And I'm like, So I, can't, I couldn't match her at that level of wisdom and understanding. So I did what I knew to do. She's 5'4", I'm six foot. I just like power up. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe talk a little firmer because that'll really show that I'm right. 
Isn't that how the world does it? Somebody says something online and then we're like, come back at him. Oh yeah. Or we try to out persuade him or we power up and flex up. And I have never known a moment where I've just powered up and I've gone out like, oh yeah. Where I just watch God at work. <laughs> never had that happen. I can tell you time and time again when Jesus was on the cross and they're yelling insults at him and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I can tell you when I've gone in humility and I've gone in forgiveness and maybe I make the first move and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Can we reconcile this when there's that kind of approach? I've watched God powerfully be at work again and again and again. That's the way of the cross. We're different. We're marked by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when Paul's saying, there's schisms, you're being torn, let's be united, was he saying, not let's walk lock, stop, and have group think, and he's saying, let's reorient around Jesus. And the stuff that's most important, as we lean into him, we lean into one another. And those things are mended and healed in the way of the cross. And then we live the gospel that so desperately the world needs to see an alternate option than one of acrimony, discord, division, and strife. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me if you would. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling some area of defeat in your life. And as we look to the cross... Jesus who said, it is finished. It is finished. Victory won. The way of the cross is you're fighting from a position of victory, not for victory. So you can have hope. It really does have ramifications for how you wake up tomorrow morning. It has ramifications to how you respond to the world around you. It, how you handle the struggles that you're engaged in. Jesus has taken something that looked like defeat and brought forth victory out of it. He can work in your life. Wherever there's that area of just, it feels like it's defeat. Can you believe that the power of God is at work in the person of Jesus, his death and resurrection, his life given to you to bring forth a different story? Maybe there's something of condemnation in your life. The cross now represents freedom to you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy will accuse you from your past. Jesus will never use guilt and shame in your life. The spirit will bring you to the new life you have in Jesus, to the blood that cleanses from all unrighteousness. Where there's pain and brokenness in your life, the cross now represents healing. Where it represented suffering and agony, through Jesus' victory, it now represents healing to you. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we're healed. The cross represented at one point death, but now it's an instrument of life to us. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. So I'm gonna pray. And maybe today, just in some aspect where you need the power of the cross to be at work in your life, what Jesus did there, the resurrection validated everything Jesus won at the cross, confirmed it as right, done. Jesus, may you be the Lord in any area of our lives where we need you to be the Lord today. 
what you've done, God, may it not just be a reference point in history, but may it be a present reality, a real experience in this moment for each one of us where we need it today. And maybe this is your first day of saying, I, I can't really explain it all. I don't even know if I fully understand it all, but I just know I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe that. And if somebody asks me to give reason for it, I, I just, I might not be able to explain it all, but I'll just say, I, I take that step of faith and that's the point of entering into life. Say, Jesus, you're my Lord, I surrender. Just as Pastor Brad said earlier, I, I let go, I release my life. If you lose your life, you find life. That eternal, and today let life come to you. Say yes to Jesus today. And as you walk with Jesus, your understanding and your knowledge of Jesus, what God is doing and has done and will do is exponential, but you can't get there apart from Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. So today, pass from death to life, say yes to Jesus. The spirit will take what Jesus did for you and impart his resurrection life and his life will become yours. His story will become your story. His victory will become your victory. And I speak over us as a church the previous two services as well and all those who are watching online and all of those who are part of this body. We see ourselves as part of the family of God all over this community, city, state, nation, and world. Not greater than or less than, just one unique expression. Together we make this whole. But Jesus, may it be said of this house, may it be said of this place, look how they love one another. Look how they love Jesus. <laughs> And Jesus, may your life be evidenced in us. God, may we resist judgment when that wants to rise in our heart towards our fellow believer. God, when we want to drop the gloves and put up the fists in just a moment's notice, God, would you help us to remember what you've done for us and that the cross is at work in us. And God, that we would find righteousness and reconciliation in you. And we trust those things that are secondary and peripheral and not really the stuff of eternity. Lord, we, we lay that aside. And we say, we wanna give our hearts and lives to the things that are the most eternal in terms of our life together as this family. Lord, bless your church all over this city. Bless your people, God, all over this city. Thank you for all of those together who make up the body of Christ and we bless them today in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I, did you, I don't know if you mentioned it in this service, but the last couple of services, you talked about wanting to serve in kids' ministry. I think Laura Beavis is going to meet you guys at the door when we're done here. So she's got applications for our kids' ministry. So if you've got kids in first or second grade, you guys are going to be serving in their next couple of weeks. So I'm totally kidding. You guys laugh at that. It's a joke. It's a, he did. You did. He said that in, the, in a couple of the services. But would you guys stand with me for the benediction? If you're open, maybe holding out your hands to receive it, I offer this to you. May you be men and women who are people of the cross. May you walk in the way of Jesus and may you realize that God doesn't want you to be brilliant or perfect. He just wants you to be available. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Feel free to hang out, talk to some friends, schedule something this week, and we will see you guys next Sunday. See you later.